invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians, the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 10. Had the privilege a, lo- a number of years ago, in fact, it's going on about 18 years ago, had dinner with Don and Debbie Randall one night. Don's in our service. And Don occasionally will say something so profound, you just need to get out a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen. I asked Don, I said, Don, how's business? And he kind of leaned back as if wisdom was about to spew out, and it was. He said, no matter what business you're in, it's a battle. I've thought about that a lot this week as I've prepared this message because we're in a battle. Not for business, but in the Christian life. Don't raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass you, but anybody struggle at times just living the Christian life? If you don't, there's probably a problem. Someone said, if you don't hit Satan head on occasionally, it's probably because you're both traveling in the same direction. There is struggle in the Christian life. There's a battle. It's as if we are camped in enemy territory. That was profound for me on a trip to India this year. To to go and walk around and see the millions of people. India, if you've never been there, is just people everywhere. And they're hopeless. And then you find a little pocket of believers, whether it be at a church or at the pastor's conference that we were speaking at, and it's like light in the middle of darkness. There's a battle going on. We're camped out in enemy territory. And I think some people think, you know what, once you come to faith in Christ, you're not going to have a struggle anymore. Did you ever believe that? There's some people that almost teach that, that if you're right in the center of God's will, you won't have any problems. Really? What about the disciples in the boat? Mark chapter 4. Remember that? One of my questions I asked when I preached that message is, whose idea was it to get in that boat in the middle of a storm? It was Jesus' idea. So were the disciples where Jesus wanted them to be? Absolutely. And yet there was a storm that they were convinced was about to kill them. So if you're in a struggle now, this message is for you. If you're not in a struggle now, if you're a believer, it one's coming. This message is for you. So I want to read just the six verses this morning as we close out chapter 6 of Ephesians. Chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We'll pick up next week on the second part of the armor, but Paul says, finally. You ever sat in church and the preacher said, finally, and you knew that meant 20 more minutes? (laughs) Well, Paul's about done. He's got about 14 or 15 verses left. But we're going to take two weeks on finally. 
And yet, is Paul saying, based on what I've brought you to to this point, the first three chapters of Ephesians are deeply theological. What God has done through His grace. You have been saved. Not as a result of your works, but it's because of what God did through Christ on the cross. The Holy Spirit has now taken up residence in your life. Then chapters 4 through chapter 6, verse 9 is just real practical. And it, we're going to continue just real practical. Because Paul loved the church at Ephesus. He had been there, helped establish the church, but he wasn't there anymore. And so he says, finally. Finally. And really three things, three imperatives that he says in these few verses. Be strong, put on, and stand firm. So finally, be strong. Literally, be empowered, be strengthened. From where? In the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Our strength comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. And in the strength of His might. I think sometimes we're looking to the wrong places for our strength. I think at times we think, you know, I've walked so long with God. I got this. <laughs> or, man, I'm a, I'm a minister. Or, I'm a member of the church. I know the Bible. I've memorized Scripture. I've gone to church seven or eight weeks in a row. I mean, we can start talking about all the things we think we're strong in in the flesh, and apart from Christ, we can do what Philippians says, I can do nothing. And so Paul doesn't say, be strong in the teaching that I've given you. Be strong in your background now in Christ, because most of these people that he's writing to haven't been Christians that long. But he's teaching them how to walk the Christian life in power and victory even in the midst of dark and wicked generations. God's strength is always sufficient for the battle. It always is. So he says, put on. In fact, this word put on denotes an urgent and decisive action. He's already talked about in chapter 4, verse 24, you're putting on the new self. The great thing that Paul teaches us here and also in Corinthians is when you come to faith in Christ, you're a new creation. The old things have passed away. We've been, as the song says, we've been redeemed. We're not the people we used to be. That's good news. So Paul says, put on the full armor. Now, we know that when Paul wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus, he was in chains. He talks about that later in this chapter. I'm in chains. We believe that means he was chained to a Roman guard while he's dictating this letter to the person who's writing it down. And Paul's looking at a Roman guard in his outfit, and he could look around and see Roman soldiers. And he sees something similar to this. This, by the way, is not an actual picture. This is an artist's rendering. If you, if you go online, you can find a lot of different things that the Roman armor may have looked like. But we're going to touch on three today. And while we got the picture up, we're going to talk about the belt of truth. We're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. We're going to talk about the shoes, having your feet shod with the gospel of peace. And so Paul used just an illustration that he was looking at and that probably the church in Ephesus immediately could bring to mind it's a little difficult for us because we're not used to seeing Roman soldiers walking around. In fact, Roman soldiers don't dress like this anymore. 
And I've heard a lot of sermons that spend most of the time describing the armor, the physical armor. We're just going to touch on that because I want to describe the practical application of what Paul's talking about. But Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Whose armor is it? It's God's armor. It's not your armor. It's God's armor. In fact, it's God's armor because we are facing an enemy that is opposed to God. At times you think the enemy is opposed to us. No, the enemy hates God. And the enemy will try to use the children of God to attack God. Now, you know that as a parent. I, I would a lot rather have somebody come up and punch me in the face than do anything to one of my children. And Satan knows he has no power, influence, or sway in heaven. He can't affect God, but he tries to affect God and hurt God through hurting his children. And so Paul says, put on the full armor. And, and I love the fact he uses the word full armor because he's saying, hey, don't get half-dressed. Or... Don't one of you put on two things and the other person put on two things and the other person put on two things because you're still all half-dressed. Put on the full armor. And it sounds like something we have to kind of do every day and remind ourselves, look, we better memorize this armor and kind of pray through it every morning. But it really says in this context, you've done that. Having put on. We'll get to that in a minute. Put on the full armor of God because then you'll be able to stand firm. You cannot stand firm apart from having the strength and power of God working through you and having the protection of God that's described by the picture of the armor. In fact, he says you'll be able to stand firm. This really isn't a picture of advancing forward. We're not charging the enemy. We're holding ground that's already been won. But we're also not retreating. Stand firm. Here's the problem. We're standing firm against the schemes of the devil. He's strategic. His schemes, literally trickery and tactics that he used to, to trick you as he tries to attack God. In fact, Acts chapter 20, verse 29 and 30 context is he's talking to the church in Ephesus and he says in Acts 20 29 through 30 I know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them Paul had told them this day is coming Satan is crafty Satan will use people to do his bidding Somebody told me one time after I preached, and I guess I mentioned the devil a few too many times, they said, you think that there's a devil behind every bush? It's like, no, I don't think the devil's hiding in the bushes. I think he's wanting to climb in on your shoulder. I think he's wanting to be in the worship service. Some of the most miserable people I've ever met are at church. And it's almost like they're miserable, and it's their goal in life to make everybody else miserable. Be real careful that you're not used by the enemy to attack brothers and sisters in Christ. If you are the Christian described, you're living the Christian life described in the first three verses, and you're living the life described in the last three chapters, first three chapters, last three chapters, you're in the battle.
amazing today. There's such an increase in disbelief in the devil. A lot of people, I don't, I don't believe that. I think we're all our own worst enemy. We've all got our own little devil. No. The Bible's real clear. There's an enemy. The enemy's real. But here's the good news. The war's already been won. We're not fighting a war where the outcome is in jeopardy or in question. It's already been won. Jesus defeated the devil on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sin. He rose from the dead victorious. And he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And yet in the generation where there's an increase in people who don't believe in the devil, there's also an increase in demonic activity and occult practice and activity. So let's understand the enemy. The enemy is not each other. Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The enemy is not the person sitting next to you, the person you live with in your home or that you go to school with, you work with, or that's your neighbor down the street. That's not the enemy. Paul had been beaten and imprisoned by humans. And yet he knew behind them stood a real enemy that was directing the assault. Paul says our struggle, literally it's a wrestling term, and it's up close and personal. Satan is not launching intercontinental ballistic missiles. <laughs> Satan is right up in your face, up close and personal. It's like a wrestling match. And Paul said our, our struggle, that wrestling match is not against flesh and blood. If Satan can convince you it's against flesh and blood, he's already won about half the battle. The enemy's not each other. The enemy is a very real adversary who hates us because he hates God. But it's against. And then he lists basically four characteristics. And these are not four different enemies. These are a hierarchy essentially of the same entity. Our, our wrestling is against rulers, literally referring to rank and rule. It's against powers, suggesting their investment with authority. It's against world forces, literally world rulers. Points to their control of a world that's in revolt against its creator. So it's against rulers, powers, world forces of this darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Understand something. The fight, the battle that's going on is in the heavenlies. And we don't see that. We see some of the results of it. But it's a real battle from a real enemy and it's taking place in the heavenlies. And so at times you can kind of step back from that and think, well, good grief. <laughs> I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. I want to share a verse with you this morning. There's a couple you really need to memorize. I was at a conference one time. I wasn't speaking. I'd already spoken, but we were closing the conference out. Like 1,200 students there in Orlando, Florida. And a friend of mine came to the door and kind of opened the door, and everything was dark in this auditorium. And so when the door opened, I looked to see who it was, and there's a guy going like this. So I was like, okay. So I hopped up, and he was a contemporary Christian artist, musician, and he had a product table where he was selling CDs and that kind of thing. And he said, no, get your Bible. This is serious. So I'm thinking, okay. So I go back to my seat, get my Bible. He said, this girl has come up to my table, and I think she's demon-possessed. And I try to pass myself off as fairly macho, but the first thought that went through my mind is, she came to your table. <laughs> but I started walking down this hallway towards this room where I was expecting to walk through and see something out of the exorcist or something with this girl 
spitting green pea soup, green pea soup, and you know her head spinning around. I don't think she was possessed by the devil. But I started quoting First John four four. Greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. Now listen, it doesn't say greater are you than He that is in the world. It says greater is He that is in you. If you're a child of God, God's taken up residence in your life through the person of the Holy Spirit. Satan's already outnumbered and outgunned. And so I'm quoting that verse. And it's about like I'm walking from here to the back door of the chapel. And the closer I get, I don't know, man, I I started just kind of ramboing up. I was just ready to walk through the door. Because I realized this isn't my battle. War's already been won. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So tomorrow, it may not be a demon-possessed person. It may be your boss. It may be a family member. It may be a circumstance in life that just seems to be pressing you down. I want you to remember 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you, in me, than he that is in the world. Yeah, we're in a battle. But the war's already been won. In fact, if it gets bad tomorrow, I want you to hear this. That's as bad as it's ever going to get. Because there's a heaven awaiting where you're not going to deal with all that nonsense. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So from a practical stance then, how do we stand? Keeping in mind the devil's already been defeated. We're not called to win the battle. We're called to do what? Stand. So the way to stand, verses 13 through 15. Therefore, I love it when Paul uses the word therefore. Because he's made a case in order to use the word therefore. When you see the word therefore, find out what it's there for. So based on what he's already taught you, therefore, take up the full armor of God. It's as if it's already laying at your feet. It's not something you've got to go out and find. It's there. Take it up. Put it on. Why? So that you will be able. You don't wear pajamas to this fight. <laughs> You're putting on a spiritual armor. And what are you doing it for? To resist. There's really only one thing in Scripture that I see Paul teach us that we're to run from, and that's sexual impurity. That one, you you run from. Get out of that. But in every other way, we just simply say no. You resist, not in your power and strength, but in the power of the one living in you, the one who has redeemed you. You resist. I had another youth pastor call me and say, I need you to go over to one of my students' apartments tonight. And he said, I think, I think he might be demon-possessed. I thought, there's a trend happening here. And I went over and, and saw, I saw the room. I said, you know, there's some dark stuff in this room. You might want to take some of these posters down because you're kind of giving an opening to the enemy. <laughs> but I said, let me quote a verse for you. It's James 4, 7. As soon as I said that, the youth pastor quoted, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. And I'd already said a lot of people misquote that verse. And so when he said, resist the devil, he'll flee from you, I said, yeah, that's the way I used to misquote that verse. I've seen that verse on signs on 17. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Is that what James 4, 7 says? That's part of what James 4, 7 says. But there's four really important words before that. Submit, therefore, to God. If you haven't submitted, therefore, to God, you are powerless to resist the devil. And he doesn't have to flee from you. But if you're under the umbrella of God's authority, 
resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Why? He ain't afraid of you. But he recognizes under God's authority, he's powerless. He has been defanged and declawed at the cross and at the empty tomb. So Paul says, therefore, having done everything to stand, having done everything, have you done everything? What is everything? Well, place your faith in Jesus Christ. Put on his armor for starters. If you've done that, then you're able to stand. And it may come to the point with Martin Luther. Martin Luther stood before the council of a town in Germany called Worms. And you wouldn't pronounce it that way in Germany, but it was, it was literally the diet of worms. That just sounds weird. But it was a council. And they were basically fussing at the fact that he was preaching you can be saved by grace through faith. And they didn't like that. In fact, the council went against him. But here's what Martin Luther said. After being condemned for declaring that men are saved by faith alone in Christ, he declared, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand. I can do no otherwise. You've put on the full armor of God, and God's called you to stand. Submitting to his authority, you can stand. So three quickly things real quick. Having girded your loins with truth. The Apostle Paul is able to look at a Roman guard and see that belt, or in some cases, girdle. The point of that was that long flowing tunic that that soldier was wearing as battle was coming. He had to tuck all that in somewhere. You tuck it into the belt, maybe even part of this, tuck it into the belt so that you could move, you could stand, you could fight the battle. So that's what Paul's seeing when he says, you're putting on the belt of truth. Where do we get truth? You're probably not going to get it from television or the newspaper, if anybody reads newspapers anymore. It's right here. This is the truth. This is the truth that sets you free. And so you've got to know this. Putting on the belt of truth, I don't want you to picture so much a wardrobe change as you've got to know the truth. Why do you have to know the truth? Because what does Satan do? Satan comes and lies to you. Satan will tell you lies about yourself, lies about God, lies about this, that, and the other thing. And it sounds good, apparently, because he speaks kind of half-truths. But what is a half-truth? It's a whole lie. So you've got to know the, know the truth. When Jesus encountered Satan 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, we see the big three at the end of it. What did he do every time when Satan said, hey, why don't you turn those stones into bread? What did he do? He quoted scripture every time. So you've got to know the truth. That's how you have yourself girded in truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, Paul sees these Roman soldiers with breastplates that protected the vital organs, the heart, the lungs, things that you didn't need to be pierced with a sword or spear. And so he, he said, that's, that's kind of like righteousness that needs to be wrapped around us. Now, there's imputed righteousness that comes to you the day you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is practical righteousness. This is living a life of integrity as a believer. And Paul says, wear that like a breastplate that protects, and they thought, the seat of knowledge and emotion. 
and then having shod your feet. You know, you can go into shoe stores today and buy a shoe for every specific activity. When I was a kid growing up, there was like two brands of sneakers. Now there's a hundred or more, and they're expensive. So this is a specific type of footwear, having your feet shod. He's looking at a Roman soldier who had on boots that protected you from the top but also the bottom. And whether it had nails protruding or not, it at least had metal fragments impregnated into the leather of the boot that allowed you traction. And so he has, says, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What does that mean? Well, the gospel is good news. And you and I know the good news. And peace means to be set right again. If you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've received the gospel. And it's a gospel of peace. You're able to stand firm in the confidence of God's love and protection. And from that stance, you're actually able also to share that with other people. So it sounds like so far all we've dealt with is defensive weapons. But there's part of the gospel that's also an offensive. It's an out there weapon. It's We're able to tell other people for the reason, for the hope that's within us. So we know the truth. But it's interesting. Every one of those so far has said having. You have done this. You have done this. You have done this. And please understand, once the battle is waged, it's too late to get dressed. You've got to be ready. Because Paul's already told you, it's coming. So one of the things that happens when we come to church is we kind of shine up the armor a little bit. Hopefully you didn't wait till this morning when you got here to put it on. It's already on, and you keep it on. So today, we've just looked at three. We've looked at truth. We've looked at righteousness. And we've looked at the fact our firm foundation is the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul's been teaching them about in the first five and a half chapters of Ephesians. That's where we stand. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, help us to remember tomorrow that we may not see the battle coming, but it's coming. And there's good news. You've already won the war. You've defeated the enemy. God, you haven't called us to win the battle. You've called us to stand in a battle that's already been won. So help us. Help us to know the truth. And that's the thing that just protects everything around us that everything else fits into. Help us to walk in righteousness, which is like the breastplate around the vital organs. And help us to have our feet shod with boots that have, are firmly fixed to the foundation of the truth of the gospel that brings peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.